Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We thank you that you died for us and that you allow us to be able to serve you. We thank you for the opportunities we have to serve you. We ask you to bless this time as we study and give us an anointing and guide and lead us. Lord, we ask for a great blessing during the concert this Saturday that many come and, and be ministered to from your word. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. First Samuel chapter 2, starting at verse 11. Uh, remember last week we read in the first part of this chapter the prayer of Hannah, which is a pretty vindictive prayer <laughs> about those who have given her a hard time. Uh, and then we get into verse 11, which changes topic altogether. Now Elkanah went to Ramoth to his house, and the Lord and the child did minister unto the Lord before Eli the priest. Now the sons of Eli were sons of Belial. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when the, any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant came, and while the flesh was seething in the, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he stuck, struck it in the pan or the kettle or the cauldron or the pot, and all that the flesh brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh unto all the Israelites that came, came there. Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of you, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let him not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as your soul desires, then he would answer him, Nay, but you shall give it to me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore, the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. All right, we're going to look at this uh, little section. We just got done with Hannah bringing Samuel to the temple, dedicating him to God. We had a, her long prayer in here. And then we get to find out a little more about Eli's family. <laughs> Uh, first, we have Elkanah returning home and says the child stayed, which tells us that Hannah did what she said she was going to do. She was going to lend God her child permanently. <laughs> I don't know why it doesn't say give, but it says lend. Uh, but he was lent to God for the rest of his life. And it says the sons of Eli were sons of Belial, and that means evil worshipers of Satan, you know, devils. Uh, however you want to look at it. When you see something that somebody's a child of Belial, it means they're bad. And we're going to just get a glimpse of how bad they are as we get into this section here. But they're, they're bad boys. They're not, they're not obeying. They're not, they're not following what they're supposed to do. And we're going to see the problems here. Uh, verse 13, And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was seething, with a flesh hook of three teeth in his hand, and he stuck it into the pan or cuddle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself, and so did they in Shiloh until all, unto all the Israelites that came thither. Uh, if you remember back when we were going through the book of Exodus and Leviticus, we talked about these offerings. Much of the offerings went to the priest. They did not burn all the offerings unless it was a burnt offering, and then the whole animal was burnt. But you had the other offerings where the priest would get an entire shoulder of the, of the animal. But after a while, this, this tradition here where they put all the meat that belonged to the priest into a great big boiling pot, and then apparently he would stick this three-pronged flesh hook in, pulled out, and whatever came up 
was that priest's allotment for the day or the meal or however, however it was. This was their tradition. Now, I can picture them getting a little tired of boiled meat all the time. I probably would too. I probably would like to have a nice roast one day, but that's not what they're getting out of this. Remember, the priest got their support from two different avenues. The money that was donated to the church, to the temple belonged to the priest who then, uh, to the Levites who then gave to the priest who gave to the high priest, and then the portions of the meat that they got from the offerings. And there's lots of that that comes in because these people are offering all the time. So there's lots of meat there. So I, it's, yeah. it's a possibility that there wasn't enough to go around because Israel was not always very faithful <laughs> in going to the tabernacle. Uh, kind of like some churches sometimes where people aren't faithful in their giving. And that happened oftentimes to them. You know, when they were on a low side where they're all worshiping idols, uh, at one point, remember, we talked about how the temple became a junkyard for everything they didn't, you know, you know storage yard more, more precisely, but everything they didn't want got stuffed into God's temple. And it said, you know, and one of the kings took months to clean it out. So, you know, during that period of time, the priest wouldn't have been getting anything. They would have all been back at their homes trying to raise food in their little tiny plots of land and, and raise some animals because the people did not go to the sanctuary and support them. So we see here the people are still supporting them, but they're, they're going to have a problem here. So it gives you this little vignette about what they're doing to help. All right? They're saying, okay, we're just going to boil this, and you know, each of the priests can come in, or, or their servant in this case, and stick the hook in. Three-pronged hook is not going to draw very much, depending on how big the separation is between the, the hooks. And also before they burnt the fat, the priest servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of you nor raw. So this is getting pretty bold. The servant's going on saying, you know, the priest is tired of boiled meat. He wants it, he wants it raw. He wants a raw, well, not necessarily eat raw, but you've got a picture. There's a big difference between boiled meat and roasted meat, all right? And even if you roast the meat that's been boiled, it's still been cooked and it's not going to taste the same. You know, so basically they're saying that he's saying the priest is tired of eating all this boiled meat and he wants, he wants fresh meat. Okay, it's not that he wanted to eat it raw. <laughs> okay, it's not, it's not saying he wanted to eat it raw because the blood's in it. That would be, that would be against the, the covenant, which these guys don't care about anyway. But so he's saying, you know, do what it is. And, you know, one side of the coin of this is, remember, this is actually the way it can work. When you made your, you cut the offering, the, the Levite would take, take their big hunk of meat for the, for the priest and the Levites, and that was their meal. And it was nothing in the, in the Torah about boiling this meat. Okay, so technically the guys are wanting it the way that they're legally able to have, but the tradition means that they're violating tradition. Okay, and this is going to be a problem all through scripture. The Jews add all kinds of traditions to the laws, and this is what was going on in Jesus' day. They always called Jesus a sinner because he violated the traditions of the men, but he didn't violate the law of God, all right, just, just their traditions. When the disciples were walking through the field and they just grabbed a handful of grain and ate it, they're going, your, your disciples are working, they're harvesting wheat. Okay, well, that really wasn't work, you know, it's... And they have all kinds of rules. And even to this day, the Jews have a lot of rules that you can violate 
you know, tell you what work is, what, what isn't work, how far you can walk, how far you can drive, how far you can, you know, what you can do. If you have a bottle of soda, you can, you can open your refrigerator and, and take it out of the refrigerator on the Sabbath. And if it's, the seal is broken, you can open it. But if the seal isn't broken, you can't open it. Okay, because that's working. You broke a seal. There's all kinds of rules that they have applied that to try to define, and some of it you understand. If your whole life is based on obeying rules, you better identify the rules. And God says, you shall not labor on the Sabbath. What does it mean to labor? And that's a big deal for them. The, uh, fair, uh, the priest and the Levites worked very hard on the Sabbath. They offered all kinds of sacrifices on the Sabbath days. And uh, so was that work? You know, well, that's, that was questionable. That was debated amongst them. And well, God told them to, so it must not be work, but what is work? And, and they had to make all these decisions. And here we see the priests are living on boiled meat. <laughs> uh, and, you know, boiled meat is not the best meat. It really isn't, at least in my opinion. I like roasted meat or fried meat. I don't, like, I don't really like boiled meat that much. Well, that's one thing. That still tastes different, though, than baked ham. Yeah. So, but this is what was going on for them. Um, and if it says, if any man said, let them not fail to burn the fat presently, then take as much as they want as your soul desires, then he shall answer, nay, but we will take it from you. If you will not give it to us, we will take it by force. And this was the answer that they would give them, you know, at least let the fat be boiled off before you take and then take as much as you want I don't care because the fat belonged to God the fat was to be trimmed off and, and given to God not not all the little veins of fat but all the outside fat of these things boiling you know maybe even putting it on the altar and taking it off the altar that they're getting said get rid of the fat which was the whole per probably was ultimately seeing that may have been the whole reason for boiling the meat was to get rid of what fat was put on there because the fat belonged to God. And I never even thought about that, but that could be one thing that reason for them to boil it. Uh, you know, but they're going to know we want this. And if you want to, if you're going to give us a hard time, we're going to take it. Now, how would you like to go to church and have the, the, the leaders of the church tell you, you're going to do this or we're taking it from you? Uh, you know, so this, <laughs> yeah, shake, shake everybody down for the tithe. Yeah, for the tithe. Uh, how much did you make this week? Uh, okay, I want 10% of it. <laughs> but that's basically what they're doing. You know, they're ba basically shaking them down for, for, their, for their tithe, their, the offering that belongs to them. And, you know, they're not trusting God. They're not honoring God. And they're basically doing things their own way. Now, if you remember, when the tabernacle first opened, uh, Aaron's sons, Adab and Abihu, uh, had a very short life as they were fried, you know, fried up for their disobedience on God. Uh, he, he lit them up and burnt them out real quick uh, because they did things their way. His sons are, you know, these sons are being set up for that to happen. They're going to be uh, taken out. Not as, not as aggressively as Aaron's sons were uh, because they're not quite violating everything, but they're, they're really not being kind to people coming to worship. They're not helping them. And uh, verse 17 says, Therefore the sin of the young man was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of God. Basically it's saying they didn't want to come. They didn't want to come and offer. 
if you're going to be harassed by the priest as you give your offering, people were stopping to come to worship. So now you've got Eli's sons hurting people, but they're also hurting themselves in the long run because the people are going, if this is the way it's going to be coming to the tabernacle, I'm not coming to the tabernacle to, give, to make my offering. So the meal that they were supposed to be getting is going to stop coming anyway because of their selfish lust for not doing it the way it's supposed to be done and threatening violence. This is a pretty serious incident coming up. You know, they're harming the church, they're harming themselves, they're harming everybody, and that's part of sin's consequences. You, sin hurts lots of people. It never hurts just one person. And a lot of people think, well, it just hurts me. No, it's going to hurt a lot of people always. Sin always has consequences and always hurts more people than you can even imagine that it's going to do when it, when it happens. All right, now we see a comparison here in verse 18. But Samuel ministered before the Lord, being a child girded in a linen ephod. Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him from year to year when she came with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And Eli blessed Elkanah and his wife and said, The Lord give you seed of, of this woman for the loan which is lent to the Lord. And they went into, unto their home. And the Lord visited Hannah. And so she conceived and she bare three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. All right, so here we have this comparison. We see Eli's wicked sons. Then we get to Samuel. And Samuel says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord. Okay, he's doing whatever it is, and his service is to God. When we serve, we need to keep a focus. What are we serving for? Am I serving to God? And if I'm serving to God, it doesn't matter whether people notice me. It doesn't matter whether I get recognition, because God notices. If I'm serving for recognition or status or position or to be acknowledged, my ministry is not to God. It's, it's being self-serving. Uh, you know, it's kind of, look at me. You know, uh, I'm, I'm so wonderful. I, I give. I do this. I do this. And if that's your purpose of doing it, you're not serving God. And here it says, Samuel served the Lord. He ministered unto the Lord. And being a child, they girded him with an e linen ephod. That's the cloak of a, of a priest, of the Levite. And it says, Moreover, his mother made him a little coat and brought it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. So we don't know, again, here we have, we know some time is passing by because we're talking about year by year, but we don't know how many years have passed by at this point. And Hannah and Elkanah are being very faithful. They come every year to offer their sacrifice. And Hannah has not forgotten her son. Now, how she knows what size coat to make, I have no idea. But she, she probably anticipates some amount of growth and makes him a, cloak, a coat for every year to, to bring up. And basically, I think she's letting him know, son, we've given you to God, but we haven't forgotten you. We're going we're gonna to make sure that some of your basic needs are taken care of. You know, every year, you're going to get a coat to wear or an outer garment to wear. And... Uh, and then Eli blesses Elkanah and his wife and, you know, says, you know, let, let her have more children. You know, at this point, he's remembering. This woman, now he's, he's got a reason to remember every year when she comes, 
she's coming with a coat, a, a, a coat for, for Eli, who he's left, and now, a, a Samuel, who, he's, who she's left. And he remembers her because Samuel was the one that was prayed for. And now he gives her another prayer. Let her have more children. And then she's blessed, and it says that she has three, three, three boys and, and, and two daughters. And I don't know if the three sons include Samuel or not. It doesn't really tell us that she had three additional but she's born three sons and, and two daughters, at least possibly six. So she gets blessed. And this is one of the great things. When we serve God, when we give to God, we are always blessed in return. Jesus, when the disciples said, Jesus, we've left everything for you, Jesus' response was, no man who's left father, son, child shall not be given more in the kingdom. And we see here the same thing for Hannah. She gave up her son, and God gives her at least two more, uh, four more, if not five more, children to replace him. Okay? Uh, and she still has him. You know, she really hasn't lost him. She, she still has him as well. And she gets more that she gets to raise. And, you know, this is what God tells us. If we give to him, he gives in return. Pressed down, shaken together. And that gets abused so often by the name and acclaimant people. You know, if you give God... You know, $10, he'll give you 100 You give him 100 he'll give you 1000 You give him 1000 he'll give 10000 No, that's not what God means and not what he does. But God does bless. When we give up something to God, he blesses. Many people have given their children to God and sometimes lost their children, and, and God has given them opportunities to basically adopt other children, you know, literally adopt children or theoretically adopt people and take them underneath their arm and, and raise them like their own kids. Uh, new parents can come into your life. You know, it's a wonderful thing when we are in a family of God. You get more family than you ever wanted in many cases. And that can be a blessing. And many times it is a blessing because you start getting people who care for you. There are people who have multiple mothers because the church, you know, takes, takes them under their wing. And, oh, you're not, you're not anywhere near your mom. Well, <laughs> here, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, you know, oh, you need, you need to help, you know, you need help, and all of a sudden you get a, the widow gets all kinds of sons and daughters helping them that, you know, maybe their own family doesn't help them at all. But, you know, God raises up a loving family to help out one another. He helps us in, in so many blessings when we honor him. And he does promise that when we give his tithes that we will get our needs met. And as I've said so many times, God doesn't want to just meet our needs he wants to bless us. It's, it's how we react to the blessing that will determine how big the blessing will be. We've got people who were millionaires because they gave God so much money, and they still were millionaires. Several people gave away ten, uh, kept 10% and gave God 90% and were still millionaires. Now, now, will that work for every single person? No, because most people, if they got a million dollars, would end up spending it mostly on themselves and not on God. But, you know, God looks at us and says, are you going to be faithful with what I give you? Or are you going to use it all on yourself? And there's nothing wrong with using some of what God gives us on ourselves, As long as we are giving to him what he's at, at least what he's asked for, which is 10%, and then offerings on top of that. And it's all between people and God. It's, you know, nobody in this church is ever looking at the records and trying to say, okay, I think this person made this much money. Have they only, oh, no, nope, they only gave this. No, nope, we're not doing that, and we never will. Okay? 
we're not looking at, oh, wow, this person's really giving a lot of money. Yeah. The only one in this church that knows anything about who gives what is the treasurer. And I don't even know who gives what, and I don't want to know who gives what. I just want to trust God to provide for the needs of the church. And here, Hannah gave and God blessed. And, you know, we want to always keep in mind, God returns the blessing. He does not hold us, you know, he's not up there with a, with a cheese grater or something, seeing how little he can give us. He'll give us chunks of the cheese, not, <laughs> not just grated over our heads. He's not got an eyedropper of blessing to us. He's, you know, he talks about pouring the blessing over us anointing us and pouring it over us. When the anointing in, the, in this was talking about five to ten gallons of oil being poured over somebody's head. Like cheese wheel. <laughs> you get the whole wheel, not, not a little tiny piece of it. Okay, But for the same token is if you're giving just to get, then you're not going to be the blessing because you're not giving to God under those circumstances. You've already got your reward. You gave. And you got the, got the acknowledgement for giving. And God knows the difference. Paul said that God loves a cheerful giver, and that literally means hilarious giver, somebody who's joyful. When people will ask me sometimes, well, how much should I give to God? I'm going, what he, ask, what he asks you to give? Well, how much is that? I'm going, well, he asked for 10%, but if you don't want to give it cheerfully, don't give it. Now, Jesus raised the standard for everything. He said that if you've lusted in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you're angry with your brother, you know, you've committed murder in your heart. So the question is, how much more than the tithe should you be given? That's between you and God. The tithe is just a starting place. And, you know, again, nobody in this church is going to be sitting down trying to figure out, did you give your tithe this year? Because that's between you and God. You only know it, and it needs to be cheerful. If you can't give it cheerfully, don't give it. Because God doesn't need your money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and the hills and, and the whole world. He does not need our money. We give it to him so that we can just say thank you to him for all the stuff he gives us. At the very least, he gives us life. We get up in the morning. We have oxygen to breathe. You know, theoretically, we could lose all the oxygen overnight one night and not be alive. Okay. Now, that would be a pretty horrible situation, but you know, it really could happen that you know, everything disappeared one time and, and we don't live any longer. And so we need to just say, God, we thank you for everything you've given us everything, every little thing he's given us, there's no guarantee that we're going to get up the next morning. Chances are, yes, we're going to get up the next morning, but there's no guarantee to any of that. You know, life is short. We don't know how long we have in this life. Verse 22, now Eli was very old and heard all that his sons did unto all Israel and how they lay with the women in the assembly at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he said unto them, Why do you such things? For I hear of your evil dealings by the people. Nay, my sons, if it be of, of no good report that I hear, you make the Lord's people to transgress. If any man, if one man sins against another, the judge shall judge him. But if the man sin against the Lord, who shall entreat for him? Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto the voice of their father, because the Lord would slay them. All right, so now we see, first off, Eli is older, but he's hearing how bad his sons are. And in the tradition of many of the fathers in the Bible, he has no control over his children. Okay, we see this over and over. Uh, we go all the way back to, and he has no control over Ishmael. Uh, Ishmael finds out that his dad doesn't, 
doesn't like the local women. He goes out and he marries two, two local women of that area because his dad doesn't want it. He does not have much control over his kids. They sell Joseph in, into slavery. They're going out and you know, taking the sheep out and then you know, going out and partying, which is why Joseph got in trouble with them because he reported that they weren't doing their job and they got in trouble, so they got mad at him. We're going to see that David can't control his kids very well at all. There's a rape in the family. There's a, a rebellion against him. All these different things that happen in his family. Uh, Solomon does not do much better job with him. And we see over and over again in the scriptures that these fathers don't seem to be able to handle their... Now, there are a handful of good ones, too. Don't, you know, uh, we don't want to say every father is bad. So here we see Eli is just like so many of these people. And, and you can almost picture he's been a priest. He was probably so busy doing the priestly work that he pretty much ignored his kids. And now they aren't following God. And they're stepping up into the priesthood role. And they're getting what food they want, you know, which is not following the thing. But this one is kind of really bad. He says, you know, sons, I hear really bad reports about you. And, you know, you see this, this says, and how they lay with the women in the assembly doors. They were sleeping with the women. The women were coming in to worship, and they were probably not every single one of them, but, you know, they were taking the women and, and, and committing adultery to, and sleeping with them, laying with them. And this is something that is critical. And, you know, we always talk, nothing new under the sun. Unfortunately, this kind of thing still happens today. In some churches, you'll hear about a pastor or an evangelist or some big leader who's been committing adultery with one or more of the women in their church. This is not new. It's not unusual. Now, it should be unusual, but it's not new. I thought they were talking about prostitutes hanging out with the door. Not in this case. This is, there's no prostitution in God's temple or tabernacle. That would be Estora or any of these other gods and goddesses would have prostitution going on. But basically, they're following the same routine. These guys are basically male prostitutes, you know, going in and saying, well, you want to honor and serve God, you've got to, you've got to sleep with, you know, you've got to lay with me. Uh, you know, this isn't, this isn't done out of love or desire of a family. This is lust, plain and simple lust. We've already got people not wanting to come because of the, them stealing from the offering. Now we're going to have many of the women not wanting to come because of, of uh, what's going on with, you know, when they've taken the women. And possibly even husbands not coming or the husband's coming with a sword, <laughs> sword or something ready to slay the priest, which are not, they're not going to do because the priests are honored. So we have a mess. This, let's say church, for, for lack of a better, better term, it's the, the tabernacle, is a mess. Your, your senior pastor is getting old, can't control his people, and the, the younger pastors are having a field day with sin. There's going to be problems. <laughs> There's going to be consequences. And we see the consequences are starting in that, you know, people aren't coming because they're, they're being basically abused when they come. And this is why it's so important in the church for the leaders to stay focused on God and to stay, to stay focused with God at all times to remember why they are serving for him. His sons either never knew or forgot why they were serving God. Because they are saying, well, we're tired of this boiled meat. We want, we want raw meat. Uh, we're tired of this. You know, we're, well, we're, we're being deprived. Look at all these beautiful women coming in 
and we're being very deprived of this, we're, you know, because we're not out there at the Temple of Astara having an orgy every day, so we're gonna we're gonna just have an orgy here. Okay, that was their that was their mindset. We're not serving God. We don't care. We're tired of serving God. And how easy is it for us to get tired of serving God if we're not careful? Now, if we're not very careful, it becomes so easy to to get tired of it, and we forget why we're serving. And if we keep always remembering we're serving God then the, the service for God keeps going on pretty, pretty smooth. God, I'm just serving you. I just want to serve you. And when we forget it, things get tough. And we kind of get all confused and all, all burnt out and tired of, of it. And if you, if you ever feel that way, that I'm getting burnt out serving God, start remembering why, you ser- why you're serving God. You know, because you might be doing too much. And I've seen this happen for a lot, especially new Christians or young Christians. They start, well, I'm going to serve God, and they get busy doing everything, and God's not called them to do everything. And then after a while, they're just so burnt out, they quit everything, and they almost quit God in many cases. And Satan goes, got another one. Okay? One of Satan's great attacks is if he can't stop somebody from being a Christian, he'll get them so busy in the church that they'll burn themselves out. Because if they burn themselves out, they usually don't just drop back to one or two things God called them. They drop away from God with the attitude of, well, this was just too hard for me. It was just too hard, too busy. And they'll either totally drop away from God or they'll drop out of all work for God and just sit on the, sit on the pew for the rest of, their, rest of their life. Either way, Satan is happy. He's really happy if they walk away from God to do, but he's happy even if they just sit in the pulpit, uh, sit, in the pul- sit in the pews. <laughs> Uh, anything to get them from being active. So we need to be very careful when we start serving God to say, God, what is it you want me to do? And do what he's called us to do. Because he will gift us enough to do the calling. But if you're doing too much, if you ever start feeling like you're being burnt out, you've either, one, forgotten why you're doing it, or you're doing too much. And find out what you need to stop doing and start looking to God and say, God, what is it you've called me to do? And I've shared this so many times in so many churches. You know, they'll get a call. We need people to do this ministry. We need people, and they're almost like twisting people's arms to get out there and do it. You know, I told a pastor one time, they, they, they were having trouble with nursery workers, and I go, I can solve your problem real quick. He goes, what? Close the nursery. He goes, What? I go, close the nursery. You don't, won't need close nursery workers. Or people will be tired of the kids in there and they'll volunteer to be in the nursery one, once a month or once a quarter or something. Either way, if people won't serve, the job doesn't need to be filled. And we need that attitude more often in the church. If we don't have the workers to do a job, then either people are definitely not listening to God or we're not doing what God's asked us to do. And I'm going to say we're not doing what God wants us to do. Okay, if we're in a place where nobody will step forward to do a job, then we'll close down the program because then it's just a program. And if somebody complains when it's closed down, then say, well, would you want to be the leader? Well, (laughs) we we need a leader. And this is what happens here. These boys were forgetting why, if they ever knew, why they were serving God, and they were abusing privilege. The priests were, were highly looked up to as many pastors are that have fallen into these kind of things, highly looked up to. 
And there's people, there's people that are calling themselves pastors that are fleecing their flock and, and taking most of the money, if not all the money, out of the church, you know. Which, when you've got a small church, it's not, not hard to understand, you know. And when you've got a small church and they're taking a $500 a week or something or $400 a week, that's not a, not a big deal. But if you've got thousands of dollars coming in a week and the past, or millions in some of these ministries and the pastor takes a large chunk of it, you've got a problem. That's going back to the first thought. Don't give us this boiled meat. I want, I want rare, rare raw meat to, to eat. Uh, you know, and then getting into this idea of, well, I'm so special. And then that idea is sometimes for pastors can be, I'm so special, they expect to be served every time they do something. They expect to be first on everything that goes on and, and have people take care of them. And that's not what God calls the pastor to do. The pastor is called to serve and to minister to people. Now, if they're doing a good job, they usually also get ministered back too, but that's not what they're called for, and that's not what's happening, and these guys were taking too much advantage of their position and their, their respect for their position because uh, they definitely wouldn't have laid, laid with these women if they were just in somebody's town because the husbands would have killed them. The only thing that kept them from being killed was the fact that they were the priest and they, and they didn't want to kill them in their tabernacle, probably. Uh, but these guys deserve to be, to be uh, stoned. That was the law. Commit adultery, you get stoned. Of course, so the women, because they were supposed to cry out when this happened. Uh, but, you know, so there's a lot of problems here. <laughs> Nobody seems to be obeying the rules. Uh, and Eli's telling his sons, you know, don't do this. Who's going to defend you? You know, if you hurt a man, God can defend you. But if you're hurting, if, you, if you're abusing God, Who's going to defend you from, from God? And so he's trying to make it serious to him. He's, you know, he did everything except one very important step that I notice in here. He didn't tell them, stop doing it or you're no longer going to be in the tabernacle. Okay, that would have been my attitude. If these were my sons doing this, it would have been cease or leave. Okay, there wouldn't have been a choice in, well, you really shouldn't do this because God's going to take care of you. There would have been consequences from me as the fathers and you know get out uh, and he did not do this but he's going to make him as culpable as his sons over this whole issue uh, and then it just as it gets, gets done talking about how bad they are again we get this comparison in verse 26 and the child Samuel grew and was was in favor both with the Lord and also with men God is enjoying David Samuel's service and the people notice how different he is in their service. When they, you know, you can almost picture their, as they're lining up trying to get their offerings done, everybody's kind of jostling. I want to go see Samuel. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to go see Samuel. Is Samuel working today? Uh, oh, nope, it's the other two boys. Uh-uh, not, <laughs> not going in today. Uh, you know, oh, Samuel's on, that, on the other entrance. Let's, <laughs> let's quickly go this way before they, they, they see us. Samuel is getting basically a following and he's winning favor people are realizing he's different he is looking to serve God hey, verse 27 and there came a man of God unto Eli and said unto him thus saith the Lord did I plainly appear unto the house of your father when they were in Egypt in, the, in Pharaoh's house and did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest to offer upon my altar to burn incense to wear the ephod before me? And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings made by fire of the children of Israel? 
Wherefore kick you at the sacrifice of, and at my offerings, which I have commanded in my habitation, and honorest your sons above me, to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of all the offerings of the children of Israel, my people. Wherefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that my, your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever, but now the Lord says, Be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and they that despise me I will <coughs> despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off your, your arm and the arm of your father's house, and there shall not be an old man in your house. And you shall see an enemy in your habitation, in my habitation, in all the wealth of God shall give Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. And the man of yours whom I shall not cut off from your altar shall be to consume your eyes and to grieve your heart, and all the increase of your house shall die in the flower of their age. And this shall be a sign unto you that, that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas in one day shall both die, and I will rise up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before my anointed forever. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of your house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread, and shall say, Put me, I pray, into one of your priest's offices, that I may eat a piece of bread. All right. We get a prophet, a man of God, coming to Eli, and he has really good news for Eli. No. <laughs> Eli, you're all going to die. <laughs> really what it breaks down to. Uh, comes to Eli and says, Thus saith the Lord, you know, Did I not plainly appear to your house when they were in, your father, of your father when they were in Egypt? In other words, Levi. I came to Levi. Uh, and that's going to be through Moses primarily. Uh, and Levi, remember, the tribe of Levi, which is the tribe of the priest, is, is going to be made the priestly tribe. Moses was the top. Aaron was the priest. The, the rest of the Levites were the, the workers in the temple. And he says, I've, I chose you out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priests. You know, and it really wants them to keep in mind how special this was. Twelve tribes of Israel, and God says, I chose one of you to be my workers to serve me. Now, I'm sure after a while, most of the Levites did not think it was a wonderful privilege to serve God, especially if they were farmers or herdsmen in their, in their likelihood or, or good, good warriors and everything. Later on, when there's a lot of them, there's, there's other jobs that they do. But initially, in those early years, when there's not a lot of them, you know, you're a priest no matter what. You're, if you're a son of Aaron, you are a priest. You could be potentially the best blacksmith in the world or the best coppersmith in the world or the best poet in the world, but you're a priest because you're of the, of the sons of Aaron. If you're in the other uh, sons of Levi, you are serving in the temple. No matter what else you can do, you serve in the temple. Now, that gives you a little more variety. The, the tent needs to be repaired once in a while. The, you know, probably some of the metal needs to be polished or, or worked. You know. But again, if you're an athlete or something, you, you get the job of working in the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, so I can understand on one side, God has to keep reminding them this was special. You were chosen special by me to be my servants, and this is a great honor. And even today, 
God calls us to do so much, but he gives us an honor to be able to teach. He gives us an honor to be able to serve him. And in, in our case, it's not just one or two tribes. It's everybody who follows God that gets this honor to serve him. And he's reminding Eli, this was an honor. I chose you all to offer upon my altar, to burn the incense, to wear the ephod. And he says, I did give you of your house of your father the offerings made by fire. So anything that they're giving that's burnt up outside of the burnt offering, this, the completely burnt offering, they get a part of. There's hundreds of thousands of people giving offerings each year. That's a lot of meat coming into the, into the tabernacle to be consumed or burnt if they don't eat it. Yeah. They should never have had any problems with, the, with this meat, no matter how many priests that they got in there. You know, there's thousands of people giving these offerings. And we talked about the smallest offering was, a, was a sh one, one shoulder and leg, which is a pretty good size, you know, whether it's a lamb or a goat or a, or a, or a uh, side of beef, it's a pretty good size of offering. Now, they didn't get much when people gave doves and, <laughs> doves and all that, because those were just burnt. Um, but you know, the, large, the most large part of this is they're giving these offerings, and, they, and God is saying, what more did you want? <laughs> Eli, what more did you want? You're taking the best of my offerings. And that's what he says in verse 20, 29. Wherefore, kick you at the sacrifice of my offerings. Okay. Remember Paul, when uh, Saul of Tarsus, when he was knocked off his horse, he was asked, it's hard to kick against the pricks. You know, and this is kind of what he's saying. You're kicking at the offerings. You're kicking basically the idea of kicking sand on the offerings. You're, you're treating them with total disrespect. So not only are the people not coming, but God's saying, you have so desecrated the offerings that I'm not even honoring the offering as, as it should be honored. Now, God would honor the fact that they gave. I mean, they're not totally being out of this curve, but they're desecrating this. They're making it so that people don't want to give the offerings, don't want to come to the tabernacle, and they're saying, and you all are not even giving, doing the right things. You're not, you're not treating all of this right and uh, he says, you have commanded in my habitation and honored your sons above me to make yourselves fat with the chiefest of offerings of Israel, my people. So he says, you're even stealing from me. And this is where God's getting really kind of up, you know, uptight with Eli. You're stealing from me. You're, you're taking the best. You're, you guys are getting fat. And we're going to see a description of Eli is that he was extremely fat. Okay, so when they're saying this, they're literally talking about the fact that they're getting fat on the stuff, all the stuff they're getting. They're taking the best. They're not, they're not uh, honoring God. They're not burning God's portion the way they're supposed to. And they're taking more than they're supposed to take. And verse 30, therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and your house of your father should walk before me forever, so the Levites. But now the Lord says, be it far from me, for them that honor me I will honor, and those that despise me I shall uh, dis that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. In other words, you were going to, you as priests were going to honor me, and you were going to be the one that was chosen, and now you're not. And you know, we see this. When we honor God, there's blessing. And everybody who's ever walked with God and backslid and come back to God really starts to fully understand this. You start honoring God, you start just paying attention to Him and reading the Word, and you watch how He repays and gives blessing. And 
you know, when we despise him, it's basically sin and we're going to end up with all kinds of trouble. And we're hollow and we're empty. And that's us in our backslidden state. You know, when we walk away from God in our backslidden state, you know, you never feel at home when you're in your backslidden state because even if you're doing the things you thought would be fun in sin, none of them fulfill, none of them satisfy. Your, your old friends don't accept you because they think you're, you know, basically they, they think you're a loser. You gave, up, you, you gave up on them and then for a God that you said was better and then you gave up on that God and they no longer trust you. You're, you're, you're fickled. So they don't trust you. And you find the sin doesn't con, uh, satisfy and the good news is God is a God that accepts prodigals back and says, you want, if, are you truly repentant? I forgive you. And here, Eli has the opportunity to be able to repent and his sons repent, but they're not going to. You know, even here, he could have said, okay, God, I'm going to kick my sons out. But you know, we see here that apparently Eli is not a whole lot better than his sons. <laughs> okay? Because he's being quickly judged as well. It's not just his sons, and, and he elevated his sons above, above him. He's been getting fat from the, the best of the foods. Doesn't say that he was sleeping with the women necessarily, but he is taking the best of the offerings as well. He is not honoring God the way he should. And later on when we hear Samuel being called, we're going to be told that God had not talked to anybody in a long time when Samuel finally gets talked to. So Eli is a priest that God never talks to, never gets a word from God. And, and, and his status of an exalted leader of the church, he doesn't ever get talked to by God. And this is something we need to be very careful. When we're in sin, we'll be in just that place. You know, when, we're, when we're in sin and we're not following God, it, we'll pray and it seems like our prayers go no further than the ceiling because they're not. <laughs> we're not honoring God. We're not doing what he's asked us to do. And until we repent, we're not going to be there. Eli is not disciplining his sons, not telling them that you're wrong. Seems to be taking part in the best of the best of the meat program because <laughs> it's going to say that he was extremely fat. Uh, doesn't say he was sleeping with the women, so he's not gone so depraved that he's doing that part. But we see problems, and he's going to say, you're, you're going to have a judgment. You know, you were supposed to have this on there. You've lightly esteemed me, and now there's going to be consequences. Verse 31, Behold, the days come that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house, and there shall not be an old man in his house. In other words, arm represents strength. What's the strength of Eli? His two sons. And we're going to see specifically that both of them are going to die. His arm is going to be cut off, and then we're going to find out that Eli is going to die very quickly thereafter. And uh, so God has got a judgment. And one of the things I've said very often, God's judgments sometimes seem awfully harsh. You know, uh, Hopney and, and Phineas are going to die you know, because of their sin. Now, their sins are pretty grievous. They were supposed to die the very first time they slept with somebody because that's the consequence for adultery and fornication was, was uh, to be stoned. God's going to take their life. Eli is going to lose his life. Uh, this is all going to happen because of their sin. You know, we saw uh, Adab and Abihu, you know, which we talked about earlier, you know, they died because of their dishonoring of God. And Aaron was told at that time, do not grieve your sons. 
You're, you're in the place of me. Do not grieve your sons because they got what they deserved and you could not grieve. Can you imagine being the father who could not go into grieving when he, two of his sons became toast, literally? Uh, burnt toast. <laughs> and God says, don't, don't grieve them. And uh, you know, so we need to understand God's judgment can be harsh. We, we see uh, the sons of Korah that challenged a, uh, Moses for authority. And God, and, they, and God says, okay, gather, gather everybody together and I'll show who's leading here. And God opened the ground and swallowed Korah and his, and his family and closed the ground up over them because of their disobedience toward the leadership. Uh, God does not treat sin lightly, especially if it's severe. And there is sin that if you keep doing enough sin, you will go home early. And if you're a, a sinner who's doing enough sin, you can go home early. And we want to keep this in mind. God keeps close tabs on his people. And it's not just blessings we lose. You know, the consequences that we have can really cause pain in your life, which cause consequences to, uh, and rewards to be lost. But we see here Eli and his, and his sons are going to die. And this is going to be a big deal. Uh, and it says, uh, The man of your home, which you shall cut off from thy altar, shall be consumed in, to your eyes, and to grieve your heart, and all that the increase of your house shall die in the flower of their age. And he says they're not, basically says they're not going to get old. While they're still at the peak of their life, the flower of their age, the, the greatest point of their age, they're going to die. Which tells us that his sons are somewhere in their 20s, no, no more than 30 probably. Uh, I'm not sure what they consider the flower of manhood, but you know, they're still fairly young. And he says they're going to die. And, uh, and this shall be a sign unto you, and it shall come your, upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and one day they shall both die. Okay, he says, both your sons are going to die on the same day. And next chapter, we'll see them, see that happen to them, or two, two chapters down. Uh, but we're going to see that both his sons die at one, one uh, blow. And not only do his sons die, they lose the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, and so, and then because of all of that news, we're going to see Eli die. <laughs> so a lot of death coming up in this family. Uh, and it says, verse 35, And I will rise up a faithful priest that shall be doing according to that which is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. All right, so he says, okay, you're, I'm going to remove you as a priest, but I'm going to put another faithful priest in your place. Which is going to be Samuel, and nowhere have I read that Samuel was a, a tribe of Levi. Uh, I'm going to have to do a little more digging in this because he says he's going to raise him up as a priest. Now, he could have been a priest after the order of Melchizedek, but uh, I don't, at this point, that's not been brought up. You never see that. But God says, I'm going to rise up my priest, and he's going to stand before me forever. And it could even be a poet, uh, messianic prophecy of Jesus who was going to be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So it could be bypassing Samuel altogether and saying, there's one coming. <laughs> there's one coming long term. And Samuel could be the short term one and Jesus being the, 
the long-term one. Okay, Zadok, okay. Okay. There's all kinds of places it could be. Lynn's, Lynn's Bible refers to Zadok, who was priest during David's day, and it was a pretty honorable priest. So it could be that, but I, I think the, the forever is probably talking about Jesus. Uh, but again, remember what I've said about prophecy. There's usually an immediate fulfillment of prophecy that's partially fulfilled, and then a later completion of prophecy. Uh, when Isaiah was, uh, was told, Behold, a virgin shall give birth, about six months later, a, a newly married girl gave birth to a baby. Not much of a miracle, but it fulfilled the immediate. And then, of course, Jesus was born of a virgin. So we had an immediate, small prophecy fulfillment, and then a later fulfillment of the prophecy. And that happens a lot in scriptures. Because if a prophecy didn't get fulfilled, the prophet was in danger of being stoned for false, being a false prophet. And he couldn't say, well, you know, this prophecy is going to be fulfilled 1,500 years from now. Uh -huh, and how are we going to know that your prophecy is fulfilled 1,500 years from now? So God would give them some small fulfillment to the prophecy, and then the full fulfillment would be later on down the road. Uh, some of them were very specific enough that they didn't have to, you know, know. Uh, when it was said that Cyrus would send their people home from the land of the Medo-Persians. There, there was no way that was going to even be close to being fulfilled until, number one, the Medo-Persians became a great nation because when the prophecy was made, they were a city-state, not, not even powerful. And then they gave a particular name of the leader. Uh, you know, and they were told that they would be in captivity for 70 years with Babylon. All they had to do was wait 70 years to see if that was going to be fulfilled, and it was. And so we see all of these things that happen, and I believe that this is a messianic prophecy, referring to Jesus. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of your house shall come and crouch to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, put me, I pray, into one of your priest's offices that I may eat a piece of bread. This is another reason why I do think Samuel's included in this because it's going to be the who's left of Eli's house, and we're going to find a, a child being born soon uh, from a widow, is going to come and say, you know, give us something to do. You know, we're supposed to earn, our, earn our, our living through this. You know, give me something to do and just let me have a piece of bread. It means that his, Eli's children are going to be living in poverty. They've been cut off, basically, from the tabernacle. And they're coming and saying, you know, just give me something simple to do. Give me, give me a piece of the showbread. Right, this is what they're referring to, the showbread. Uh, because they're not asking for the meat from the offerings because they've abused that. And they're saying, they're coming to the priest saying, just give me any little job to do. A little job. I, you know, I'm not expecting to get a, a hunk of the meat, but you know, just give me a piece of the showbread. Because remember, the showbread is taken out. Every two weeks, it's taken off the table of showbread, and it's consumed by the priests. And they put new showbread in and sprinkle it with frankincense, and then two weeks later, they get to eat that bread. And... Uh, so this is that picture. They're going in there saying, just a piece of the showbread. That's all, you know, give me a little job. Give me a little piece of the showbread. So there's a prophecy here that they're going to live in poverty. They're not going to have anything. So here we are, the judgment of Eli and his sons. And it seems that his sons were worse than him, even though he wasn't all that good. But we see here what ends up happening 
God eventually judges sin, always. We keep talking about that, always. Even for the lost, their sin will eventually be judged and the consequences for it. And we've said so often, so many times people look at them and say, well, they have everything. Well, if you knew the person, if they don't have God, they don't feel like they have everything. You know, if you really get to know them, they're always wondering, you know, I need more, I don't have enough. Uh, you know, I've got all this popularity, everybody likes me, but do they like me or do they like, do they like who, I, who they think I am? Uh, we end up having all these things go on, and if you're walking in, away from God, there's no pleasure in it. When we walk in God, we can have great pleasure and great joy and, you know, wonderful blessing. I was having a wonderful day today at work. I was singing all the time, you know, most of the day because I had the hallway to myself. Nobody else was in the hallway, so I could sing and make the, as much noise as I wanted to that today. And I was singing and having a blast with God. You know, but, you know, isn't it fun to be able to joy in God and just worship him and have fun in God and just be fulfilled and say, God, you are so special. Thank you for all the blessings you've given me. You know, and I'm not rich by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, God has also blessed me. You know, we have we have our vehicles, we have a house, we have you know, utilities, we have food in the house. You know, there's, we're we're blessed, and compared to most of the world, we're greatly blessed. You know, everybody in America is greatly blessed compared to most of the world. Even our very poor are greatly blessed. Uh, we just cease to look at it as a blessing so often, and and forget that God is blessing. And, you know, we need to be always reminded, count our blessings, remember why we're serving God. Because, you know, even if we don't get anything on this earth, we're going to get greatly blessed in heaven. You know, as they, as they say, God's retirement plan is out of this world. <laughs> and it really is. The blessings we'll have just in heaven, even if there's no reward in heaven other than heaven, is a great reward. And the blessings and rewards we get beyond that are going to be grace gifts to us. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this. Lord, help us to keep in mind that we are serving you in all that we do. Help us to stay focused on you and serve you and give us great contentment as we serve you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.